As we come to chapters 5 and 6 in the Gospel of Luke, we find our author, Dr. Luke, bringing together two themes, like, like like a zipper, if you will, two sides interlocking, meshing together. As Jesus begins his foray into ministry, on the one side, Uh, You see many people who are drawn to Jesus, who are choosing to become his followers. And on the other side, you see people who are skeptical, they're mistrustful, they're even adversarial toward Jesus, especially the religious elites, the scribes and Pharisees. And so Dr. Luke is zippering together, if you will, these two themes going back and forth between them between the disciples who are drawing near and the Pharisees who are keeping their distance. And so what I want to do over the next uh, two messages is actually look at each of those sides, those themes, first looking at one side and then the other. Um, And and so what we're going to do is we're actually going to move through these chapters uh, thematically rather than sequentially, okay? We're going to kind of hop through and look at everything that has to do with the disciples who are coming near, and then we're going to hop through and look at all the adversarial treatment of Jesus. So this week, we're going to focus in on the call of discipleship, the call of discipleship. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What is a disciple? Uh, what is it all about, this call of discipleship? Where is it going how much will it cost, and how shall we respond? How shall we respond? So grab your Bibles. We're going to be in Luke chapters 5 and 6 today. You'll find today's reading in the Pew Bible on pages 860, wrapping around to 862. 860 to 862. We're going to begin reading here in Luke chapter 5, verse 1. We're going to look at verse 1 down through 11, 27 to 39, And then in chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 12 to 16, okay? That's our map for this morning. Please listen as I read. This is the word of the Lord. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. On one occasion, when the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he began, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night, and we took nothing, but at your word, uh... I'll let down the nets. Verse 6, when he had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, depart from me, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken, And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Now skip down to verse 27. 
After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, why, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And they said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast when the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece of the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new, my, new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And, and no one, after drinking old wine, desires new. For he says, the old is good. Now, hop over to chapter 6, verse 12. In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, Andrew, his brother, James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon who was called the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot who became a traitor. Thanks be to the Lord for the reading of his word. So as we dive into these three passages on discipleship, we're going to see three things here. The command of Jesus, the companions of Jesus, and the commission of Jesus. Okay, there's your outline. The command of Jesus, the companions of Jesus, and the commission of Jesus. Would you bow your heads? Let's pray as we begin. Father, I come to you this morning in weakness. I... Um, I woke up feeling pretty gross in my body, and you know how weak I am. Father, would you be my strength and portion? Would you do what only you can do? Would you make your word alive, and would you give energy and strength? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So first of all, the command of Jesus, the command of Jesus. For, for a long time now, Jesus has been the talk of all the towns up in Galilee. Uh, in chapter 4, verse 14, Luke tells us Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. A report about him went out through all the surrounding country. In chapter 4, verse 37, he writes, the reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. So the rumors are spreading. The, the word is getting out. Everybody's talking about Jesus, this Jesus, and now they're coming in mass to see him for themselves. And so Luke begins in chapter 5, verse 1, and says, On this occasion when the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing 
uh, by the lake of Gennesaret. This is just another name for the Sea of Galilee, a regional name. Uh, verse 2, he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them, were washing their nets. And getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked them to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So here you have Jesus on the water. You have the people who are gathering on the shore as it slopes up from the water. This is a perfect amphitheater, right? The water, the voice carries over the water. Jesus doesn't have to deal with the crowds pressing in against him, uh, and the people are all stacked up on the rising shore. It's perfect. It's brilliant. And verse 4, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out in the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night. We took nothing. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. <laughs> this, this is a bit awkward, and it's uh, kind of humorous, I think. Remember, Jesus is a trained carpenter, right? And he's now turned rabbi. And, uh, and, but all of a sudden, he starts giving fishing advice to people who are career fishermen. Right? Imagine me going with you to your place of work, uh, your place of expertise, your domain, and just uh, show up and start just sort of giving you pointers on how you can maybe do your, your thing better, right? You'd be like, listen, pastor, I don't come down to the Moody Church and tell you how to preach, right? And uh, so let's do this. You do your job and you let me do mine, right? That's what you would, you would say. And you would see something of that in Peter's response here. He's respectful. Uh, but he's asserting, like, look, Jesus, this is my domain. This, this is what I do. I mean, stop. We toiled all night. We took nothing. It, and, and at this point, it's way too late in the day for fishing. Uh, the fish aren't biting, right? We know this. We got skunked last night. Just <laughs> let us go in peace. Like, just don't double down on our misery, right? But... Fine, okay, okay, if you want to fish, if you want to fish, I'll do it. All right, I'll do it. And of course, we know what happens. Uh, they haul in this monstrously huge catch. And it turns out that Jesus is not just a master carpenter, and he's not just a master teacher. He's actually a master fisherman as well. How maddening is this for Peter, right? This is the moment Peter realizes that Jesus' authority is broad. Jesus' authority is broad. He's the master of all of life. He's the expert in every domain. He's, his authority knows no bounds. That's what Peter sees. Four, verse five, chapter 5, verse 6a. When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. This huge catch. What was, listen, listen, this is amazing. What was impossible for Peter on his own, Peter now receives by grace because Jesus is with him. There's a whole sermon in that sentence, if you'll think about it. What, what Peter could, what was impossible for him to do on his own, he now receives by grace because Jesus is with him. It's amazing. Now, Here's what's remarkable to me. Jesus apparently knew where the fish were, huh? He just knew. Without sonar, without a fish finder, right? He knew exactly where they were. He saw them. He drew them. He gathered them to himself, which is amazing because when Peter and Jesus looked out on the water, they saw the same lake, didn't they? 
Peter didn't see what Jesus saw. Peter saw a hopeless case, but Jesus saw abundant possibilities. This is amazing. Jesus' vision is wide. Jesus' vision is wide. Jesus knows more. Jesus sees more. Jesus desires more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine. Peter's beginning to see this. Chapter 5, verse 6b, and their nets were breaking, and they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats, and they began to sink. Just look at the abundance here. The nets are breaking, straining, bursting at the seams. They wave down another boat. James and John sail in to help. They, they load the fish into the boats to the point where the keel starts to get down near the water. They start taking on water. This is the most possible fish they could possibly load up and bring back to shore. This is amazing. It's stretching their nets to breaking point. It's sinking their boat. It's bringing them to the brink of what they can handle. And Peter begins to realize that Jesus' ministry is stretching. It's stretching. When Jesus decides to move, to bless, Peter realizes you got to hold on (laughs) for dear life. It's going to be a wild ride because Jesus' ministry is in the miraculous And it'll nearly break your nets or sink your boat, but Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. Chapter 5, verse 8, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Notice the upgraded title before it was master, now it's Lord, Lord. It's a way more intense title. Verse 9, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. And here's the last point here, friends. Jesus' call is transforming. Jesus' call is transforming. The disciples here, they've seen the breadth of Jesus' authority, that he's the master of all of life. They've marveled at the the width of his vision. He sees abundance where they cannot. They've felt the stretch of his ministry. He's blessed them to the breaking point. And now they respond to the transformation of his call. From now on, you will be catching men. I want you to leave everything, Jesus says, and come follow me on this transformational journey. You're going to be changed. Jesus says, at my command, you just hauled in an abundance of fish. But hold on to your hats, (laughs) because from now on, you're going to be catching men. So there's the command of Jesus, the command of Jesus. Now let's look at the companions of Jesus. When Jesus says, from now on, you're going to be catching men, he's drawing a parallel between what just happened on the lake and what is about to happen as the disciples follow him into the world. There's a parallel here. Let's see what happens. Let's unpack it. Chapter 5, verse 27. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at a tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. 
So the very next person that Jesus decides to recruit for his band of disciples is Levi. He's also known as Matthew. That's the author of the first gospel in uh, the New Testament, the gospel according to Matthew. This is him. Uh, he, uh, he's a tax collector. So he's a Jewish man who works for the Roman Empire. And of course, nobody likes the tax man, right? Nobody. Uh, but the Jews especially despised uh, these tax collectors because they were sellouts to Rome. They were betrayers of their own people, Israel, and they got rich working for the oppressive government of the Roman Empire. And apparently, Jesus' renowned has reached Levi's ears because with a simple, follow me, he leaves behind everything and follows Jesus, which is quite remarkable, isn't it? I mean, tax collectors were pretty hard and exacting people. They could squeeze blood from a turnip, right? They, they bore no excuses. They had no pity. They didn't yield or listen to anybody. They were thick-skinned and hard-hearted. And yet, at the word of Jesus, Levi closes up shop and comes and follows him, which is amazing, isn't it? And once again, we see that Jesus' authority is broad. Jesus' authority is is, blood, is broad. Not only does he command the attention of his friends in Galilee, he commands the attention now of this tax collector named Levi. And if you think about it, tax collectors are usually the boss wherever they go. When they say, I'm sorry, you're going to have to pay, you have to pay. If they say, follow me, you got to follow them. That's how it works. Everybody knows that. But when Jesus says to the tax man, follow me, Levi gets up and goes, gets up and goes. Isn't that amazing? Jesus' authority is broad. Verse 29, and Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. <laughs> and I love this. So Levi throws a huge party. He invites all of his friends who happen to be tax collectors. Why? Because he's burnt every other relational bridge he has. The only people who can stand to be around Levi are fellow tax collectors. And now we have a large company of tax collectors and others who are reclining at table with Jesus. Now remember, remember back to the story on the lake. What did Jesus say to Peter? From now on, you will be catching men. From now on, you'll be catching men. So on the lake, they caught a large number of fish. And now at this party, there is a large company of tax collectors. Same word in Greek for large in both places. Large fish, large group of fish, large group of tax collectors. They're gathering together. Do you see this? Once again, Jesus knows where, the, where everybody's hiding. He knew where the fish were hiding. He knows where the souls are hiding. He's, they're hiding in tax booths and at great feasts. You see, he's fishing. He's fishing. Jesus is fishing. And the nets are full. You see this? It's amazing. And look at how brilliant Jesus is here. He sees these tax collectors, and in love, he wants to redeem them and save them and draw them to himself. And so what does he do? He recruits Levi. Because what better way to reach tax collectors than with 
a tax collector. Levi knows them all. And so just look at the diversity of who Jesus is recruiting to be his disciples. Skip down to chapter 6, verse 12. In those days, he went to the mountain to pray all night. He continued in prayer before God. And now, prayerful, he comes down. When day comes, he called his disciples. He chooses from them 12, whom he names apostles. Here they are, Simon, whom he named Peter, Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who becomes a traitor. So here we have, we've got fishermen, we got tax collectors, we got a political revolutionary, Simon, the zealot. These were political revolutionaries, they, the dagger men, they tried to stab Roman soldiers in the back. Uh, we've got a skeptic, Thomas who's going to have trouble believing in Jesus. We've got a future traitor in our midst with all kinds of personalities and backgrounds and aptitudes. Why this ragtag team? Because Jesus knew that to reach a whole world of people, he needed a whole lot of different kinds of people. That's why he's recruiting them. And once again, we see Jesus' vision is wide his vision is why Jesus knows more. He sees more. He desires more than we could ask, think, or imagine. And Jesus wants to see all peoples everywhere come and be reconciled to himself. He's drawing together all manner of people unto himself. And don't you see, the nets are full. They're full and they're almost to breaking point. Something's about to break. Look at verse 30. Chapter 5, verse 30, and the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick have come to call the, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So on the lake, it was the nets that were breaking. Here it's the Pharisees' categories that are breaking. How can tax collectors and sinners become disciples of a rabbi? You need schooling. You need honorable background. You need prestige. You need connections. If you want to become a disciple of a noteworthy rabbi, you've got to get your life in order. But Jesus, Jesus is just taking anybody. Just taking anybody. Sinners tax collectors for shame. How dare he? Jesus answers, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus says, look, these are just the very people I'm seeking. The least, the lowly, the left behind. I'm here for those who realize they need help. That's who I'm here for, the sick and the sinners. I'm not waiting for them to come to me. Oh, I'm coming to them because I see them and I'm drawing them and I'm gathering them to myself. It, isn't this beautiful? I, I, it's amazing to me. Jesus, the holiest person to ever walk the planet, was also the one that sinners drew close to. That's amazing. Purity and proximity at once. This is the call of Jesus. 
Verse 33, they said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast when the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they'll fast in those days. See, the Pharisees had a whole regimen about their fasting. They fasted every Monday and every Thursday, every week. And uh, the tenor of the Pharisaical fasting was mourning, mourning all that Israel had lost in the exile and the destruction of Jerusalem and the pain of the people. It was, a, it was like a funeral mourning fasting. And it's likely here that Levi's feast is taking place on either a Monday or a Thursday. When everybody else was fasting, Levi's throwing a party. And the Pharisees are like, why? why? How come you're breaking with this sober tradition of your religious elders. John the Baptist teaches his disciples to fast. Our disciples are fasting, but how come you and your disciples aren't doing this, right? And I love Jesus' reply. He says, because it's a wedding. I'm the bridegroom, and it's party time, right? You know, one day I'll be gone, and they'll fast then. But right now, it's, we're having a feast. <laughs> that is so audacious. Then he tells him a parable, verse 36. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he'll tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. If you have an old pair of jeans, and there's a hole in the knee, say, and you, so you go to the store and you buy a new pair of jeans, you don't get a pair of scissors and like cut out a hole in the leg and like sew it on the old jeans so you have a no, 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 you throw the old jeans away and you wear the new ones, right? I mean, that's what you do because you're destroying the new pair in order to salvage the old, and then it's never going to look right. That's what Jesus is saying. Translation, pitch the old jeans, wear the new ones. Pitch your old, outdated, rabbinic traditions. There's a new rabbi in town. His name is Jesus, right? That's what he's saying. Verse 37, no one puts new wine in old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it'll be spilled and and the skins will be destroyed, but the new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says the old is good. The old is good. So new wine that's still fermenting, giving off gas and all of that, needs to go in new wineskins that are supple and pliable, made out of leather that can stretch with the wine as needed. If you try to put new wine in old wineskins that are brittle and tough, the old wine, uh, the new wine will burst those skins and you're going to lose the, the wine anyway. So old wine goes in old wineskins, new wine goes in new wineskins. What's Jesus' point? He's saying, look, I'm bringing newness. I'm bringing new joy, new life, new hope, new redemption, new possibilities, and it's going to look different than you're expecting. I'm not here to fit into all your old traditions. I'm here to usher in a whole new chapter of God's salvation history. And as it grows and ripens, you got to get ready because it's going to stretch all the brittle categories that you have, and it'll burst them all wide open. This is what he's saying. On the lake, 
It was the nets that were full of fish that were straining and breaking and falling apart. At Levi's, it was a room full of sinners and tax collectors who were stretching and breaking the Pharisees' category. And now we have wineskins full of new wine that are stretching and breaking. You see this. It's all parallel. Once again, we are seeing Jesus' ministry is stretching. It's stretching. He comes for the sick and the sinners. He doesn't need... He doesn't intend to follow the traditional ways. He's doing a new thing. When Jesus shows up, hold on. It's going to be amazing. A wild ride. But he knows what he's doing. That's the point. It's interesting. Jesus even says that for some, it's going to be too much. In verse 39, he says, No one after drinking old wine desires the new. For he says, the old is good. People don't like change. And Jesus is bringing a whole lot of change, which means for some people, they're going to struggle. They're not going to like Jesus because his ministry is stretching. And the people who felt that stretching the most were the ones that Jesus chose to come closest to his core disciples, what we call the 12. If you skip down to 613 again. Jesus says, or Luke says, and when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles, apostles. He named them apostles, his sent ones, ambassadors who will be sent out as his representatives. These disciples don't know it yet, but these disciples, these 12 minus one, because Judas checks out, these apostles will go into all the world and proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They will be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. They will be filled with humble boldness and tenacious sacrifice. They will become heroes of the faith. And once again, we see, friends, that Jesus' call is transforming. It's transforming. Jesus takes them as they are, and he will make them into something incredible, amazing. And it all began with the simplest of words, follow me. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. These are the companions of Jesus, the companions of Jesus. So we have the command of Jesus, the companions of Jesus, and now finally, the commission of Jesus, the commission of Jesus. If these are some of the very first words that Jesus speaks to his disciples, in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, we get some of his last words. And the pattern that we have seen in this set of passages today, in these early words, is still consistent. It is still true all the way at the very end. Look at what Jesus says. Matthew 28, 18b. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Don't you see it? Jesus' authority is broad. He is the master of all of life. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Jesus' vision here is wide, isn't it? His vision is to see all peoples everywhere come and follow him to worship him alone, to experience salvation through his name. 
Verse 19b, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Don't you see Jesus' ministry here is stretching. It's stretching. This is a monumental task well beyond their ability to execute. It will bring the disciples to the breaking point. Even at Pentecost, the very first sermon that Peter preaches, 3,000 people will respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they will not know what to do with all these people who have come. Following Jesus will be a wild ride, but he knows exactly what he's doing. His ministry is stretching. And then finally, verse 20b, and behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And again, we see that Jesus' call is transforming, that because he is with us, empowering us, uplifting us, conforming us to his image, making us like himself, fit for ministry, what was impossible on our own, is now ours to receive by grace because Jesus is with us. And that makes all the difference in the world. So this call of discipleship leaves us with some challenging questions. And I just want to leave these with you. And if you would write them down and maybe reflect on them this week, that would be great. Four questions as takeaways here. Number one, will I follow Jesus' authority? Will I follow Jesus' authority? Will I let Jesus be the boss of my life? Who are you following? If not Jesus, then who? Secondly, will I embrace Jesus' vision? Will I embrace Jesus' vision? Will I live and long to see people from every nation, tribe, tongue, language, and people gathered around the throne worshiping the name of Jesus forever? Will I live for this? Will I see that as the most important thing I could ever give my life to? Will I embrace Jesus' vision? Third, will I stretch toward Jesus' ministry? Will I stretch toward Jesus' ministry? Will I embrace discomfort for the sake of the gospel? Will I allow myself to be pushed even to the breaking point for Jesus' name? And then finally, number four, will I surrender to Jesus' calling? Will I surrender to Jesus' calling? Will I put my yes on the table and let Jesus figure the rest out? Whatever, whenever, however. I'm all in, Jesus. I'm all in. It all begins with the very simplest of words. Follow me. Follow me. How will you respond to the call of discipleship? How will you respond? Follow me. Let's pray. Father, you have called us out from the mundane into the extraordinary. 
from apathy into the most powerful mission the world has ever known. The reconciliation of all things to King Jesus, who is Lord of all, who has saved us by his grace, who is teaching us what it means to live an abundant life, who says, come follow me into the glory you were made for in the very beginning. I will reconcile you to my Father. I will fill you with my Spirit. I will use you to do the impossible in this world, to see many from every nation, tribe, tongue, and language drawn into the fold of God. The nets are wide and gathering in all of those that Jesus loves. Oh, may we have the courage to heed his call and command and be a part of this beautiful work that God is doing through Jesus Christ. So, Father, we give you ourselves. We hold nothing back. We want to follow you no matter what. We pray this in Jesus' matchless name. Amen.